You're listening to the OneOfUs.net Podcast Network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you're interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. Okay, of all the new Star Trek series, I think we can all agree that Andor was the weakest. <laughs> yes. I watched that show. Not a single Andorian. Never go to Andoria. Never anywhere near the Andor system. And considering that they're one of the founding members of the Federation, I was very disappointed. Two thumbs down. No stars. Do not recommend. And you know what? <laughs> that baby Gorn isn't even that cute. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wait, wait a second. Uh, someone's giving me a note here. Uh, oh, oh, that was a Star Wars show. My bad. That changes everything. I'm changing my review. Andor is 10 forwards out of 10. <laughs> Fortunately, we have an actual Star Trek show to talk about. The latest and probably final season of Star Trek Picard. And to help me talk about it and to help me keep track of what franchise I'm in, I am joined by Harmony. Live long and prosper. Jordan. I am Jordan, House of Cobb, Trans of Gender, Daughter of Narice, Bane to the Republican. <laughs> and Sarah Jane. Hey there. I'm Marco and I'll be your captain on this review. We're going to do a spoiler section at the end, but up front we're going to be non-spoilery as possible. We're going to give our review and our general thoughts. I will give you a warning before we go into full spoilers because... Boy, there's a lot to talk about on this latest season of Picard. Season 3 begins, like every season of Picard. Picard is at Chateau Picard, enjoying his well-deserved retirement, and then, wouldn't you know it, he gets an emergency distress call from his former crewmate and old flame, Dr. Beverly Crusher, begging Picard to come to her aid, and also begging the writers of this show to finally give her character something interesting to do after 30 fucking years. <laughs> Fortunately for us, they listen. Picard gets up and boldly goes where arguably this show should have gone in the first place. That's right, they're putting the band back together for one last mission to save the galaxy. Guys, was this what you were expecting after the last two seasons? Did this go somewhere that you weren't expecting? Or was this just a bunch of nostalgia porn? This was not what I was expecting from Picard, but it's absolutely what I was expecting from Next Gen. <laughs> I didn't hate the first two seasons. I still stand by a lot of what I said in the season two review that we've done here on oneofus.net. <laughs> yeah, it has its flaws. Being someone whose introduction to Star Trek was TNG, a show that has impacted my life in numerous ways and has helped shape me into who I am today. This was absolutely incredible. This whole season felt like something special. Well, I'll be honest, I did watch the first season, and then after a couple episodes of the second season, I tapped out. I'm like, mm, no. And I did the same thing with Discovery. I watched the first season, and I was like, mm, 
But I think I did actually catch, like, the last two episodes of season two. And then when my husband was like, hey, I'm going to watch this, I'm like, all right. And so I made sure to get on the review. And so um, I'm not sure what I was expecting, but I'm glad uh, that we got what we did. My Star Trek history is, you know, I I hated it as a kid because my mom would always watch the original series. And I always thought it was boring. But when I met my husband, he's like, we should watch all of Star Trek all the way through from the beginning. And so uh, Deep Space Nine is my favorite. And Next Gen was all right. Anyway, so I really did like the way that this uh, season went. And I'll say this, Sarah Jane, TNG might be my favorite Trek, but objectively, I can admit DS9 is the overall best show. DS9 is also my favorite What's interesting about this particular season of Picard is that it really pulls a lot of elements from DS9 in ways that were unexpected. Now, it's going to be hard to talk about this plot because it is convoluted. Not in a bad way. It's just dense. Picard goes off to help Beverly and she has told him, do not contact Starfleet because no one can be trusted. Starfleet has been infiltrated by something or someone and they're after her For some reason, she cannot fathom. It turns out that they're not actually after Beverly. They're after her son. Wesley? No, no. She she has bad luck with kids. Let's face it. She's got one missing, and the other one is an international fugitive. uh, Jack Crusher, uh, named after her former husband. And curiously... About, uh, oh, about the same number of years as the last time Jean-Luc Picard (laughs) saw Beverly Crusher. (laughs) This is not a spoiler. It is revealed that the final frontier for Picard is fatherhood. (laughs) To his surprise, Beverly has had a child and she never told him about it. For 20 some odd years. And, And to the surprise of all of the original crew, she has completely cut off communication. She's out in the galaxy being sort of a badass doctor going into war zones, helping out refugees. And Jack is very much of the same cloth, but he's kind of got that Picard swagger too. And this kind of feels like Wrath of Khan. He's like, hey, I knocked up uh, this really hot, brilliant medical scientist, and now I've got this son with a chip on his shoulder who can't stand me. And that is really one of the big driving parts of the story here, getting Picard and Jack to reconcile with one another and figure out why these strange people are after him, led by none other than Amanda Plummer in this one of the biggest, coolest ships ever to be seen in Star Trek. Terrifying. It was. I absolutely love the Shrike. The, I was so happy seeing it, but then I got immediately upset because I'm like, I kind of don't want to see it destroyed, <laughs> but I know it's going to be. Meanwhile, back on Earth, we see that uh, there's been these weird terrorist attacks involving a portal weapon that was supposedly stolen from Daystrom Station. Rafi, who we last saw in Season 2 in a relationship with Seven of Nine, she's on her own. Seven and her are on the outs, and Rafi is no longer in good standing with her own family and struggling with her past addictions. You start to think, oh, she's relapsed, until you realize she's actually on a secret mission. That involves her handler, who is a character that you figure out pretty quickly who the mysterious handler is. That's one of the storylines. And it takes a while for these two disparate storylines to finally come together. Mm -hmm. We do get the whole band eventually, but it's remarkably restrained in how the show 
takes its time to bring all of these people back together. It's not a montage where he goes and meets everybody. Right. It's like, I'm calling everybody up and they're all coming to my aid immediately. You know, no. So I, I appreciated that about the show. It didn't feel like nostalgia or like a clip show <laughs> or anything like that. It, it, it felt like a really moving and endearing story with some really cool sci-fi. You know, like it, I think it's a really important story about family and what that means. And it just looks really cool and has some amazing like Amanda Plummer, like she's amazing and just chew scenery like it's <laughs> I, I like like it's I don't know, taffy. I have no idea. <laughs> like it's her diet. I mean, she is the daughter of Christopher Plummer, yes. who also famously played a Klingon in yes. Star Trek. She's got those acting genes, mm-hmm. and she makes a meal out of this role that at times I found a little frustrating because I always was not always sure of her motivation or who she was taking orders from. And she monologues so much, but she's having a lot of fun. I mean, there's 10 episodes to fill. I feel like they probably could have done it in eight, and I would have liked it better. I did feel it was kind of meandering at points, and I'm like, okay, why are we, what's going on here? But it did get better as it went on, for sure. It does pay off in the end, but I agree that there is a lot of great stuff in here, but sometimes there's like literal ticking clocks, and yeah. I'm like, I maybe you guys shouldn't be having this moment to have a heart-to-heart. There's a lot of moments where yeah. everyone's like, it's never said, but it's kind of like, this may be the last time we ever get to talk. I'm like... Can you maybe talk afterwards? Yeah. <laughs> Longing looks. People are going to fucking die. Yeah. I, w- I will say, one of my few problems I can talk about right now is that it, it does have to do with Vatic. I do love Amanda Plummer, which, again, I think, like, her diet while doing this was the scenery the itself. scenery. It does. She is amazing. I respect anyone who's running a starship and smoking a joint <laughs> while doing it. That's amazing. But my problem is... For so often, she feels disconnected. Yeah. Like, she mm-hmm. is off. It, like, she is seriously off on a different set. Yeah. Like, she has impact, but it's not really, like... She, she She's not doing much with the actual cast of characters we have. And thankfully, we get to the second half of the season, and the show fixes that immediately. One thing I definitely want to point out is something I really wasn't expecting that... I'm glad got explored. And this was a subplot with Jerry Ryan's Seven of Nine because she does play a big part in this season because Picard and Riker kind of hijack a routine inspection cruise for the USS Titan, which is now being captained by a dipshit from Chicago by the name of Liam Shaw, played amazingly by Todd Stashwick. Shaw does not refer to Seven of Nine. As her true name. He is referring to her as Annika Hansen, which, yes, was her name before she was assimilated. And this was a very nuanced examination of dead naming. Now, for anyone who doesn't know, dead naming is the act of referring to a someone, be they transgender like myself, or non-binary and such, to the name they were before their true name, their chosen name. Now, it can be done by accident, I acknowledge that, but Shaw is doing it deliberately, 
I thought the way they examined this was brilliant because there's actual layers to Shaw, yeah. which we'll get into. And it's like, once you get to know more of him, it's like, I can actually kind of see why he's doing it. But make no mistake, I do not excuse dead naming of anyone, of any of my trans siblings at any point. I'm glad you brought up Shaw because he really is one of the standout new additions here. You should not like this guy. But Stashwick kind of makes him compelling because he's such a dick. Not just the Seven. He's a dick to everybody that's involved with our cast. They try to give him some bullshit story about why they're taking the ship. And they try to make it sound like a cool thing. And he's like, no, no, I know you're bullshitting me. I know you guys. And he has zero respect for Picard or for Riker or for Seven of Nine. He doesn't have time for these mavericks. And just to twist the knife, he ends the conversation with, oh, and by the way, Jazz fucking sucks. <laughs> Take that, Riker. The dude is so rigid, even improvisational music offends him. Everything's got to be structured and by the book. I I'll say this. Like, he actually does somewhat give a shit because I like this moment where it's like, you know, he tells free crew members, like, you, you guys just pulled 36 hour shifts. Go relieve yourselves. And it's like, Wow, I don't think I've ever actually seen a, a Starfleet captain do that on screen. He genuinely cares for his crew. And part of his anger towards these newcomers is that they are putting his crew in jeopardy. <clears throat> yes. And as we find out when the Shrike appears, Vatic makes it very clear, like, I'm going to blow you the fuck up unless you give me this one guy. That's all I need. Give me the guy and I'll leave you alone. Riker and Picard and Seven are like, no, we got to save this guy. He's like... Yeah, but I need my crew. It's the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few. Uh, no, I loved uh, Shaw. I thought he was great. He was an asshole, but he did. He really did care. We do ultimately warm up to Shaw because he is layered, as Jordan says. There's a reason for why he dislikes particularly Picard and Seven, and it deals with a very traumatic incident in his past. This is not coming out of nowhere. Doesn't excuse him, but it makes him an interesting character. Of course, the big hook for this season is that we're bringing back all of our old, beloved crew members from the original Next Generation. They all show up in here, but there's some a really interesting acknowledgement that 20 years have passed. They're not the same people. Their dynamics have changed. Their relationships have evolved. Notably with Beverly, who just totally disappeared on everybody. No one knows where she's been. You have Jordy coming back, who's more concerned about his daughters, who are now serving in Starfleet. And while the old Jordy would jump into action to help Jean-Luc, the thought that Jean-Luc is asking him to put his own children in the line of fire, as a father, that, that gives Jordy pause. All of these characters are so really richly defined, and no one, I think, better than Worf. Right. Yeah. No character has been developed more than Worf. He's, he's been on the most uh, Star Treks. <laughs> Over multiple seasons. And he shows up in 20 years. He's like, yeah, I'm not that guy anymore. All that shit I dealt with, I dealt with it. Yeah. I can still kick your ass. I'm just a peaceful warrior now. I love the peaceful warrior. Absolutely. The chamomile drinking peaceful warrior. The thing that bugged me about season two of Picard is that it's so often asked us to forget 
all of the character development that Jean-Luc Picard had gone through. Mm -hmm. But with Worf, they've acknowledged all of those episodes, all of that character development. He has managed to take his Klingon ancestry, his human upbringing, and his commitment to Starfleet. He's managed to incorporate all of those facets of his character and incorporated it into a way of life for him. I was boggled by the people who were upset that Worf had become a pacifist. Okay, having seen what happened to him, especially in the last two seasons of DS9, I'm not exactly surprised that he has taken a more mindful and spiritual approach to things, especially considering what happened with Jadzia. I have not watched all of DS9. I did not know. Well, get on it, Harmony, so we can talk about it. (laughs) I know, it's only been out for 30 years. As soon as this review is over, I want you to go and watch all of those episodes. I've been trying for like five years to get through them. (laughs) It's a lot. But yeah, what Worf does this season is great, and also I do agree about Jordy, especially since both of Jordy's daughters which name-checked in all good things, Sydney and Alondra, one of which is played by his actual daughter, Mika Burton. The theme of parenthood runs very strong in this particular season. Especially with Riker and Troy as well. Riker and Troy, you know, we knew in season two that they had a family and that one of their children was very ill. We see that how that's gone. And you, you have that moment with Riker going like, look, I lost a kid. And now you just found one you never knew you had. And we might all be ready to die any minute. You should spend every minute you have with this kid, whether he wants you to or not, uh, because you're never going to have this experience again. And it's so much about the passing of the torch, but also the acknowledgement that all of these characters have changed and evolved and are, you know, thinking about their legacy. And we barely talked about Jack. Hey, have you ever wondered what the kid from Aragon is up to? Well, here's your answer. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we barely talked about He was in Downton Abbey. You shut your face. (laughs) Okay, I I am way behind on Downton Abbey. He's an asshole in that, too. (laughs) But but his Jack Crusher is so great. He's basically kind of like a Han Solo as a doctor in space, you know? He's just got swagger for days. He does have this exciting, youthful energy, which, you know... Was going to be needed with all these, uh, geriatrics. you know, <laughs> yeah, geriatrics, as it were. Like, I, I thought, like, okay, great. So the youthful energy is going to have to come from uh, Jerry Ryan, who I'm not, uh, I am not complaining because she is still seven of fine as hell. <laughs> and Michelle Hurd as well. But, like, yeah, we needed Ed Spleers, who is excellent this season. He's really good in this, and he's got the difficult challenge of holding his own against this cast of legendary characters, and also kind of being the MacGuffin of the series, because as we said, Vatic wants him for some specific reason. We know that there's this big event coming up. We've seen these terrorist events earlier on in the series, but what exactly their motivations are, what their plans are, how it involves Picard, how it involves Jack is one of the big mysteries this season. And it takes a long time to get there. I kind of agree with Sarah Jane. Like, you could maybe have brought this down to eight episodes. But you know what? If then it means going to Daystrom Station and meeting up with an old friend, hey, I'm all for it. Uh, Because, yes, Data is also back. Even though he died again. A couple times? Twice. But, you know, I mean, yeah, he's an android. Technically, you, you know, you can... You could just keep, you know, rebooting him or keep, you know, uploading his he, consciousness. Look, to he some got other the new updates. Yeah. 
Yeah. He got a new chassis. He's basically the latest iPhone. <laughs> it's so great to have him back in a way that makes that character somehow fresh and new. Right. Which I did not expect. That, I think, is the triumph of this show. Because, yes, there's a lot of nostalgia. Yes, there's a lot of member berries. But they always manage to somehow incorporate it into the plot, advance it, acknowledge that 20 years have gone by and not everyone's the same. And you know what? We've talked about, you know, the big characters from the original series, but the surprise is how many other characters you didn't expect to show up. And they show up in ways that make sense. And you're like, oh, shit, I I didn't think this character was ever going to be seen again. The way all the characters are brought back in from TNG, it all feels organic. It it doesn't feel like, oh, well, now we got to get to this character and that character. It all feels... Some go whole episodes without being seen. Yeah, exactly. And that's... and, and, And honestly, I love that approach. I love that we get a steady build to having the band back together. And I just wanted to say this before we go to spoilers. Like, you mentioned, like, Beverly finally getting something to do. That is why Gates McFadden is, like, my MVP of this season. I absolutely fucking adore Beverly Crusher. Especially the scene in 17 seconds when Picard and Beverly finally have a talk about why she kept... Jack a secret and it's like you understand why both of these characters are right and wrong for what they did it really does become that great nuance of Star Trek where it's like I understand Beverly and I get why Picard's mad it was incredible you're absolutely right Jordan Gates is great in this she's never had more to do than this season. This almost makes up for 35 years of her occasionally having nothing to do. But everyone in this is great. Everybody has something to do and everybody is utilized. It's always hard to use Troy. Like sometimes psychoanalyzing somebody isn't really what you need to solve the mystery or complete the mission. But there's moments here towards the end where she does come in and she's critical and she has a lot of great scenes with Jack. Because Jack has a lot going on. There's a lot he doesn't know, and we will learn more about him. And she's the perfect person to help him get through that. Well, guys, let's start rolling into our final thoughts before we hit the spoiler section, because I know we're all eager to talk about spoilers. Sarah Jane, would you kick us off, please? I will. Thank you. I w- when Jordan was talking about how great Gates McFadden was with Patrick Stewart, I was thinking... And you brought it up also too, Marco. There are no weak links. Everyone is really great in this. I loved that the band got back together. But I will say that uh, Jerry Ryan is probably the highlight for me. I mean, she was pretty pivotal in the whole thing. Without her, nothing would have happened without Seven of Nine. God, what can I say? I'm just going to give my rating. And I'm going to give it 8 out of 10 ways... That Vatic said, Jean-Luc Picard. She's the one person who actually pronounces it correctly. <laughs> exactly. Jean-Luc Picard. Jordan, would you give us your final thoughts, please? I loved All Good Things, the series finale to TNG. And I didn't hate Nemesis. I certainly know it's not a good movie. But... I just kept thinking, like, that cannot be the last time I see my favorite characters together. 
this rectifies it. This season feels like a, a closing of that chapter of Star Trek. And it ends it so perfectly, so beautifully. When I watched the finale, I cried and cheered so, so, so many times. And that I, I do want to bring up another thing. The score this season has been fantastic. It has, this has been some of my favorite music of New Trek. It's been absolutely incredible. And yes, Gates McFadden was my MVP. She just killed it. And so I will give Star Trek Picard season three 10 out of 10 awesome Starfleet field lever jackets that I demand right now. Now, Paramount, I will pay you out my nose. <laughs> Those were pretty sweet. They were pretty cool. I, I need the red one. Harmony? I watched Next Gen in reruns as a child, like, late at night when I should have been in bed. So I had such a love and fondness for the show that I watched the, the first two seasons of Picard, and I and I gave it a lot of leeway because it's patrick stewart but this third and probably final season is such good tv (laughs) for them to take an established cast and bring something new to it that still feels in the same world that it was 30 years ago it's brilliant i love the writing i loved the music as well the costumes amazing Special effects, breathtaking. I had prepared myself for the worst watching it and was very pleasantly surprised. So I'm going to give this, oh gosh, I'm going to give this 9 out of 10 phasers set to stunning. (laughs) This shouldn't work as well as it does. We've been down this road before. We've seen where people try to just bring a whole bunch of people together for no other reason than, hey, people like these guys. Let's just bring them back for one last mission and the fans will show up because they're going to show up anyway. You almost don't have to do anything particularly good with the material just so long as you show everybody their favorite characters and throw a bunch of member berries at them. But this show sidesteps that so often. Like we said earlier, you don't get all of these characters at once. They're introduced one at a time. It's clear that 20 years have gone by. They're not the same people and are now at the age where they're thinking about their legacy. They're thinking of winding it all down. They're thinking of retiring. And I have to imagine that's true now in a way that it wasn't for the cast back during the time of Nemesis. Like Jordan says, they deserved a better send-off. This show gives it to them. I'm going to give this 9 out of 10 com badges that still work, surprisingly. Don't they ever change the batteries on those? How do those work forever? It's the future. I I haven't turned this on. (laughs) Meanwhile, you know, I have to charge my phone every 30 minutes like a goddamn caveman. (laughs) If you haven't seen Star Trek Picard, why the hell are you listening to us? If you haven't finished it, Come back later, because we are about to go into full spoilers. Red alert. Red alert. We are now into full spoilers going now. Oh, my God, everybody dies. Oh, wait, no, they did it. You should have said that before Red Alert. Everybody dies. Red Alert. They did it, which I thought was great. You thought somebody was dying, didn't no, you? No, no. I'm gl- okay, look, I'm not saying I would have committed arson if one of the original crew had died. I'm just saying... 
I am a writer who does her research, and I know how to most likely get away with it. (laughs) I'm really glad that didn't happen. I will also say, saying that on a podcast is one of the best ways not to do that. (laughs) Yes. I'm not an arson, but I could be. (laughs) I don't know. I think they chickened out. I think someone, well, someone did die, but no one from the original crew. So it it felt like there should have been someone go. I'm not saying there is a particular person who should have went, but when, uh, since we're spoiling here, when Shaw died, I was, I like slammed the table and I was like, no! And my husband's like, what? I could have watched 20 more episodes of Shaw's adventures just being a dipshit through space. Right! Why did- Oh, he's coming back. The showrunners have already said they're bringing him back. I don't know how. Well, I guess they could do like a, a prequel thing. But Seven and Rafi could have pulled him. They all could have made it into the shuttle. And but they didn't. They stayed there. I mean, I guess they had to because of what happens later. But I was I was really mad. I was like, no. I will say, speaking of Shaw, like once they reveal his backstory that he was involved at the Battle of Wolf Three Five Nine. Like by the way, Todd Stashwick did a great monologue, which I did find out. That was fully intact. They did not cut anything from him. That, oh, that's awesome. Well, it also shows to a testament how under-fucking-rated a director Jonathan Frakes is, and he should be given his flowers. Yeah. Especially for also 17 Seconds, yeah. which is one of the best-directed episodes of Star Trek ever now. But also, it's like, I actually got to understanding why he calls Seven by her dead name. Because, like... He recognizes she's the best qualified. She has to be the Riker to his early Picard. But he's also still dealing with that trauma. And so I saw, like, again, I am absolutely not excusing dead naming. If you are intentionally dead naming someone, I will find you and I will break your fucking kneecaps. What I saw it was as, like, compartmentalizing. Right. That's what he was doing. His pain is so great because it's not a case of, like, well, you know, the Borg blew up my friends. It was like the Borg were blowing everybody up and I was chosen. Why did I get to live? Survivor's guilt. You know, yeah. it, it's a lot of survivor's guilt. And you also see why he is so dedicated to keeping his crew safe. Yeah. Which is why he really hates these guys. Like, it's bad enough that you guys are former Borg. Yeah. Now you're asking me to put every single person under me in danger right. for this dumb fuck kid. Yeah. He's he's completely understandable. He's so well-crafted in that regard. So it does hurt that he dies, but the the showrunners have said that they're bringing him back, but not in a prequel way. And they're like, oh, trust us, it's a wonderful, beautiful way. And I'm just like, yeah. that kind of bugs me. I'm like, make him die or, you know, it's too easy. Don't do it, Tom. Yeah, it needs the impact. And, you know, especially in a show where Data's died multiple times, Picard has fucking died. <laughs> but yet, I kind of let it go because I was like, I don't want to see any of these people die. And it's so common now. It's like, well, now we have to kill somebody. Yeah. say Game of Thrones. We can get a happy ending. We deserve that. Right. Okay, one thing I wasn't expecting was an actual goddamn wrap-up to Roe Laren's yeah. story. Right? Oh, my God. That was like, wow, deep cut. Oh, man, I was so happy. I love her so much. Nearly 30 years, I have been waiting for some fucking resolution to preemptive strike when I'd actually given up and thought, all right, I'm just never going to get it. 
fine. I'll make something up in my head. But then here comes Michelle Forbes again. Oh my god, <laughs> representing Bejar. Holy or, or, or Elizabeth Shelby, who dies Shelby, I was gonna say on screen. Shelby. I was like, wow, I haven't seen her in a long time. I barely remembered her. Okay. Shelby got the name Elizabeth from the novelizations. Um, so that was not ever canon in the show. It was in the the extended universe. Yeah, I was gonna say like f- I just thought her for her actual first name for all these years was Lieutenant Commander. Like that, <laughs> I know. <laughs> and the fact that she surpassed Picard, like she's a higher rank than Picard is. Yeah, well, I mean, but she's probably one of those people who actually follows the rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Well, she probably doesn't. <laughs> She probably is just really good at what she does. And the grim irony that she basically just turned Starfleet into, like, a Borg collective. It's like all the ships work together as a hive. Irony! Yeah, in total irony. Even Picard's like, that's ironic, you know, that she would do that, of all people. And, of course, we do get another person that we should have expected. Uh, She's not in the suit, but we do get the voice. It's Alice Krieg returning as the original Borg queen. Needless to say, she's unhappy. <laughs> I gotta admit, I was so happy getting the changelings. That was so unexpected that it's almost a disappointment when you realize that it's the Borg pulling the strings all along. They're like, well, of course it's the Borg. It's the Borg. It's like Again. a Doctor Who season finale. And then, of course it's the fucking Daleks. It's always <laughs> yeah. there. Of course it's the Master. I get that, but it's also, like, thematic. But also, this is, like, the first time we've seen, like, this particular Borg since... The Voyager series finale, Endgame, you get a stark reminder. It's like, man, Janeway left them fucked <laughs> up, boy. God damn. That virus just... Oh, I mean, in the <sighs> fact that, you know, somehow the Borg have, like, passed on their genetic material through Picard. Uh, and now it's in Jack. And he's just kind of been, you know, having this thing sort of latent within him all these years. And it's only now coming out. A little convenient, the timing, but nevertheless, it's an interesting but convoluted way to get there. Because for the longest time, I was like, I don't know where this is going. I mean, and can we also call for a moratorium on any time someone has a repressed memory, they represent it with a closed door? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm good with I mean, that. That closed door doesn't even make any fucking sense. They did that in season yeah. two. <laughs> There aren't any wooden doors yeah, in, was, in the future like, in space. How come they keep... At least with Chateau Picard, it made sense. It's a specific door. Uh, Picard yes. life. I was like, when it was revealed as the Borg, I was just like, really? But to Jordan's point, it is thematically relevant. Because it does tie into the Shaw storyline, into Seven storyline, and also very much Picard's, you know, concern about what he's passed down to his son. Like, oh my God, I may have like hurt my boy before, you know, he even got to really live just because he got it from me. He inherited this thing. But of course, Jack, like any 20 something, he asked the right question, not this horrible disease he may have got from his father. He's like, how long do I have with the hair? Just tell me. (laughs) When does it start to go? Just tell me. That's the important stuff. Enjoy it now. Enjoy it while it lasts. I love, like, even for the first time outside at Deep Space Nine. Was some fervor acknowledging of the Dominion War. One thing I absolutely loved in that brilliant scene between Vatic and uh, Beverly and Picard was like, 
the revisionist history on both sides yes. about the war. Yes, we made a virus, but we gave you a cure, even though that cure had to be fucking stolen. And how the changelings feel about things. And also just like the great backstory that get, that gave to uh, Amanda Plummer's Vatic, who also has now one of the greatest last lines, insults, and my personal insult now to fucking transphobes and oh, fucking solids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, guys, uh, we're, we're going long, but, you know, I'd love to keep talking about this. I mean, we're almost going as long as, you know, the actual epilogue of the series, which, hey, you know, sometimes a show earns their Return of the King multiple endings. This did it. And, and this one really did. It, it's a happy ending for everybody, uh, but, but not that kind of happy ending. Get your minds out of the fucking gutter. 